The last time I was uh, with you guys, I shared a story about how oftentimes our best and worst moments are sometimes just, in my case, hours apart. And I shared a story about how I had preached one morning and, and had a great morning and I went home only to find myself that afternoon probably having the worst afternoon I'd ever had with my children and kind of losing my cool and exploding and uh, just yelling and screaming and my youngest, my four-year-old, graciously uh, opened up the, the live feed between our house and my in-law's house um, and exposed my sin uh, <laughs> in, a, in a very uh, <clears throat> public way. And so, um, and I shared that with you guys and um, and so for those of you that, um, that offered encouragement, I, I thank you for that. Um, I had quite a few people um, that came up and, and said, um, hey, they're not teenagers yet. It only gets worse. So, <laughs> so uh, I thank you for that. Um, and then I also had um, quite a few of you come up and, and just um, share uh, that you too had experienced that, that same thing and, um, and that it was um, at least me confessing my sin uh, helped helped you a little bit, so I I want to thank you for um, for that. Um, like Lowell said in his video, he's um, he's off this weekend and um, spending time with his uh, with his family, and so we are we're thankful that he gets to do that. And and for those of you that are watching online, we uh, we thank you for inviting us um, into whatever space you're in, whether it be your home, your dorm room, or wherever. We're we're glad that you are are with us. I had no idea what the worship music was going to be, and so um, that's, this past couple of weeks, I've actually been singing that song a lot. Um, that what a what a beautiful name, and um, and so it was obviously very emotional for me during during that. I already told um, the uh, the team that's um, that's going to be translating this morning that I apologize that that I'm I'm somewhat emotional about this this message and kind of where uh, where we're headed this morning, and this is going to kind of be a part two to what we talked about a few weeks ago, and then I'll be back with you guys in, in December for, for probably a, a part three. But um, the last time I was here, I also shared with you that my father had had a, had a stroke um, on October the 2nd, which has left him paralyzed on his left side. And we've had some glimpses of hope, but um, obviously it weighs very heavy on our hearts because it's not, you know, he's not where we had hoped he would be. And I've had sick children these last few weeks, and, and so a lot of what I'm going to be preaching on today, I've... Um, I've gotten to experience firsthand, so again, it weighs heavy on me, so I'm, I'm emotional for that. Uh, I always have a little bit of apprehension when I'm up here speaking, but I've, I've never really felt like um, that I was going to have a full panic attack, and last night I found myself, I uh, felt like I was going to have just a full-blown panic attack, and I, I um, just remember standing in the shower and going, hey, I probably should breathe, you know, just take a deep breath and, and breathe, and so... Um, so just bear with me. So we'll, we'll see where the Lord is, is headed with this. The last time I was here, I used um, a story of John the Baptist, and we're going to continue with that passage. Um, I had used, um, uh, I had talked about how that several of the Gospels recorded the story of John the Baptist, and I spoke to you, um, and I kind of told you what each, you know, kind of each writer, what they had shared leading up to John being in prison. And today I'm going to jump into Matthew 11. I'm going to use Matthew's account of, of the interaction with John and John's disciples and Jesus, and then I'm going to talk about Jesus' response to the people. And so um, just to kind of kind of back up a little bit and remind you that, that John uh, the Baptist um, was kind of the 
the forerunner of Jesus, right? He had been the one that was, he was the one in the wilderness proclaiming the coming of the Christ, right? He was the prophet, and, and, and we'll talk about in a little bit that, that the prophets were kind of the, the forerunners. They were the ones that were, that were paving the way for the Messiah. And so John had been paving the way for the Messiah. He had actually baptized Jesus. Um, he had watched the Spirit of God fall upon Jesus, and he had heard God declare that this was the Son in whom he was well pleased. Uh, John continued his ministry. He continued to proclaim Christ. Um, he spoke to the reli- against the, the religious powers and the religious leaders that, that, and the, the political leaders that, that, that sought to oppress the people. And because of this, John had put a big bullseye on his back and had found himself in prison. And he had been in prison for almost a year. Meanwhile, Jesus' ministry had continued to expand and Jesus had continued to um, walk out the promises and the hope that John had been proclaiming. And so now John finds himself um, in prison, uh, sentenced to die. And so John had, um, in that moment, had had this crisis of faith um, where he had been on this spiritual high and then found himself at this spiritual low and he sent his disciples to Jesus, and Jesus responded by reminding the disciples, first of all, Jesus performed miracles right in front of their eyes, and then he sent them back and said, go and tell John what you've seen, and remind him that that everything that he had prophesied, everything that he had proclaimed, that the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, that all of these things that he had hoped for, all of these things that he had proclaimed, that they are absolutely happening in the one that he paid the way for. And so Jesus says, go back and report to John. In Matthew eleven four. 4, he said, Jesus, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. But then he, he finishes that phrase with this rather interesting line, and it says, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. So I want to just spend a few minutes parked right there because I think that um, if we're not cautious, we'll miss that there's two, there's really two different things, there's two different conversations that are happening here, and, and I want to focus on that last verse. So, if, so Jesus is gracious enough, he, he understands, he, he is grieved by John's despair, he understands it, he gets it. And so he offers John this comfort of going, hey, John, let me reassure you. I'm going to give you this impressive resume that everything that you had hoped for is absolutely true. But, John, you're going to die. That that the Messiah that you've paved the way for, I am he. I am who I am. But he reminds John... I'm going to do some things, and those things are going to be awful difficult for you to understand and difficult for you to take. And so I don't want you to lose heart on account of what I'm going to do. I don't want you to lose faith because, because your expectations are not going to be met in the way that you think they're going to be met. And so as I've prepared for this, this has been kind of a difficult um, preparation because this is often a difficult conversation to have because too often in the church we don't want to have this part of the conversation right like we we love the fact that Jesus gave John this impressive resume 
but we oftentimes don't want to accept the fact that Jesus sometimes is going to do things in a way that we aren't expecting or, or in a way that doesn't meet our expectations. And so I was thinking about how do we, how, do, how why is that in the church that we don't do that and how, how oftentimes we find ourselves in this crisis of faith and what I was thinking about was an infomercial. I'm sure many of you have seen infomercials, right? Okay. <clears throat> how many of you, let's be honest, okay, we're, we're among brothers and sisters, right? It's time to confess your sin. How many of you have actually bought something off of infomercial because it was a product that is as seen on TV? All right, most of you are honest, the rest of you are lying. That's fine. It's all, it's all good. Not a problem. Um, <clears throat> so uh, most of you have seen infomercials. And it, was, it was interesting. I actually looked up kind of how the infomercial phenomenon came to be and and so for those of you who aren't familiar, I think everybody should be, but an infomercial are most of the time they're these lengthy commercials. Um, sometimes they may take up a whole 30 minutes. Um, sometimes they're just, you know, the kind of extended minute or two commercial. But usually they're selling some kind of product. And these products may include like a, a cleaning product, an appliance, a food preparation device, dietary supplements, alternative health aid, memory improvement courses, books, etc. Okay? Um, the infomercial industry is a $200 billion industry, all right? So it's a, it's a pretty serious chunk of the market, right? So infomercials, in fact, we have, you know, we actually have some, like, entire networks that that's what it is. It's just 24-hour infomercial selling, selling products. Um, an infomercial presents a significant amount of information in an actual or perceived way to attempt to promote a particular point of view, right? Um, and also, oftentimes, the, the demonstration seems to be exaggerated in order to gain your trust or because they're hiding an important fact. <laughs> right? And I think about my favorite infomercial right now is the, um, oh my God, Flex Seal. The Flex Seal, the guy cuts the big, takes a perfectly good boat, cuts a big old hole in the bottom of it, and then, you know, fills it in with that flex seal and they put it on the water. What the neglect tells you, it takes like 7,500 cans of flex seal to do that. Like why anybody would do that, I don't know. But anyway, they, and so and then they're out there in a rowboat with this big rubber uh, flex seal in there. And so, um, <clears throat> but I, I brought this because this is um, a product that we bought in our house and it was called the Sonic Scrubber. Right, and it was, uh, my wife bought it um, as, there actually was, used to be, may still be there at Concord Mills and as seen on TV stores. So she actually bought it there. Um, because in our previous house, we had this, uh, we had a tile shower. Um, and the tile started, the grout in there started getting all scummy and dirty. And, and no matter what we put on there, it never, we never could seem to get it clean and stuff like that. And so my wife saw this infomercial on TV and then saw this Sonic Scrubber um, at the as seen on TV store and bought it. All right. So and she comes home and I get home to find uh, what in essence is a battery powered toothbrush. Okay. Um, and it and it comes. I mean, it, literally, it's a it's a battery pack. It takes a couple of batteries in there. It's got an on off switch. Then it's got these several different scrubbing heads on it and you choose whatever size you need and then you put it on there you flip the switch and it and it does a scrubbing for you and and then you can go in there and scrub your grout all right so katie's like this is going to revolutionize revolutionize how we clean the shower and everything and so we get in there and we start cleaning it and and it works obviously better than what we had been doing right up until it gets wet And when it gets wet, it gets corroded, and it quits working. 
And so, you know, we found ourselves, I found myself skeptical that it was going to do anything. She found herself putting her hope and trust in it. Both of us were disappointed because my skepticism, I was hoping I would be proven wrong. She was optimistic and it didn't work out. And so both of us were left disappointed. And I think about how often in the church we, as a body of believers, um, so desperately want to market the good news in a way that invites people to receive it and to believe in it. But oftentimes in our, in our zeal to do that, we misrepresent the product that we're trying to sell. And so we, you know, we find, and oftentimes it's in those moments of crisis where we find ourselves doing that. And I, I was just thinking about some of the, some of the things that I've been, either I've been guilty of or have, have been a part of and, and the results that it produced. But I was thinking about, you know, uh, uh, somebody that's hurting and, and we were like, you know, if you'll just believe in Jesus, you know, he'll wash away, you know, all of your problems. Meanwhile, your marriage continues to fall apart. Or we talk about how accepting Jesus and, and everything in your life will be better. Meanwhile, you find yourself still estranged from your family. You're barely holding it together as a parent. Love Jesus and he'll give you your daily bread. Meanwhile, we can't even pay our mortgage this month. If we just pray enough, Jesus will heal whatever ails you. Meanwhile, the doctor tells you the cancer is spread. Trust in the Holy Spirit and he'll give you all the wisdom. Meanwhile, you continue to struggle and find yourself falling into the same trap over and over and over. Now, I want to be cautious because all of those statements that I gave you about the truth of who Christ is and God is and the Holy Spirit are absolutely true. Jesus is capable of healing everything. The Holy Spirit is capable of giving you all wisdom. You know, we serve a God that is limitless. But I think Wednesday night I was listening to Nancy give a testimony about an event that happened in Kenya where they prayed for a lady and she was healed miraculously and Nancy and I and others in the room have experienced things like that but we've also prayed for people and, and they didn't get healed in this lifetime right and she she summarized it by saying that you know I mean I consider Nancy a mature Christian but Nancy's like you know I, I sometimes I just don't understand how God picks and chooses what he does and how he does it and when he does it right but I believe that God's timing is perfect. I believe that he's sovereign. But I, I don't know how to answer that question. You know, I was thinking about what John must have felt like when, when he realized that Jesus was completely willing to leave John where he was at and in that condition. And what John had to have been thinking as he was going to be beheaded that day. Did John have any idea that 2,000 years later we'd be talking about 
This, this Jesus that he had been proclaiming the way, that he'd been paving the way for. And if he had known 2,000 years later what, what would become of Christ, would he have willingly run to be beheaded? I wonder if, how many of us in this room right now, if, if you were given an opportunity to lay down your life right now, in the hopes that 30 years from now, tens of thousands of people would come to Christ, would you willingly do it? I think about, Jeremiah says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, the plans to bless you and prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But Isaiah reminds us that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, the reality is that we serve a Christ that is focused on things far bigger and focused on heavenly things and not earthly things. But in our flesh... We are limited in our ability to comprehend the vastness and the greatness of God. And so oftentimes, if we're not cautious, we will reduce Jesus down to an infomercial. And we will reduce this gospel down. Jesus was completely willing to leave John in the situation that he found him in. And I often wonder if that's because Jesus is far less concerned about you and I dying young than he is about us growing old having never lived. See, right after Jesus has that interaction with the disciples and he sends them away, he turns and it's to the people. And in verse 7, he goes on to say, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you come out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Look for those who wear fine clothes are found in king's palaces. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way for you. See, Jesus, in this moment, steps in this moment and realizes, as he always does, that there's a, there's a, this is kind of like an onion. There's multiple layers to what's going on here. Yes, you have John's doubt, which he's perfectly big enough for. He's perfectly willing to allow John to have that crisis of faith. He gets it. He understands that, that John is not looking at, at things from an eternal perspective, but, but rather he's looking at the circumstances directly in front of him, which many of us would do, right? I mean, any of us would look at, at this, this imminent death and go, how, how is this going to work out? I mean, how, how do you work all things together for good? Like, how, how is this going to happen, right? Like, I don't think that's an unrealistic thing for us, right? And I don't think that Jesus is so small that he can't take that. And so he offers John that comfort, and, but yet at the same time reminds John, hey, this is going to be hard, don't lose hope in, what, in what's about to happen, right? Don't, don't lose your faith now because you're about to experience and step into eternal things. 
And then he recognizes that those witnessing this, it would be real easy for those of us in, the, in these moments of crisis and, and witnessing these things to, to lose faith. I was telling Lowell this morning, I was thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When, when they were about to be thrown in the fiery furnace, they were, like, they were like, hey, throw us in there. God's big enough to save us. And then they said, but even if he doesn't, it's not going to change the fact that, of who he is. And I wonder what those people would have thought if they would have been burned up, right? They would have walked away satisfied that these three guys were fools, right? That, that in their limited understanding, they're going, well, they burned up because they didn't recognize that this is not about earthly things, but rather it's about eternal things. And that God's promises are true through eternity, not in the 30 seconds that you expect them to be answered. And so Jesus turns to the people and he's, he begins to ask them these questions and he, he asks them, what did you got in the wilderness to see? Now for most of us, we might not understand what that meant, but, but we can relate to this. Most of us are civilized, right? We, we are very civilized people. I don't know how many of you saw my post the other day, but I bought this rather hideous looking camper for my wife that needs a lot of work. And I had several people talk about how we probably should update our, our shots, our tetanus shots and everything if we're going to be sleeping in that thing, right? Uh, because it, it is not civilized, right? It is not, it, it, it ain't even close to a Holiday Inn Express, right? This thing is, is going to be, and it needs a lot of work. But you and I are very civilized, and, and we've, if we're not cautious, we'll allow our faith to be civilized. But John, he existed in the wilderness. John lived out in the wilderness. Now, who lived out in the wilderness in those days? Well, there's a handful of people who lived out in the wilderness. You had shepherds, you had farmers, and then you had a few crazies. Okay, that's who lived out in the, in the wilderness, right? The civilized people, the respected people, those of prominence, they lived inside this, that they lived in close proximity to the Walmarts and the Targets and the Concord Meals and the nice restaurants and all of that, right? They, they, they lived civilized. He said, are you looking for a, for a reed blown back and forth, swaying in the wind? I think about how many of us, if we're not cautious, we allow our faith to be blown back and forth by the wind, right? We look at our present circumstances, and if we're not cautious, we'll focus on our present circumstances, and we'll measure our faith or we'll measure God's ability based on the current circumstances we're in. John had, John had openly challenged the religious leaders and the politicians of his day. He had stirred firm in what he believed, and because of that, people had taken notice of that. You think about some of the most respected leaders that you and I look up to. We don't look at leaders whose opinions change based on if a camera's in front of them or not, or, or based on whether their party's ahead or not, or whatever the circumstances are, but, but rather we're drawn to those leaders who know that they know and they stand firm in the faith in that. And that is what John represented for the people. The people went out because they knew John was in the wilderness, they knew John was uncivilized, they knew John was firm in what he believed and that he was speaking to the establishment that was trying to civilize society. every single day in the world and we live in now where it is not okay to be different where we all have to be the same he said were you looking for someone with polished clothes and looking all nice and fine clothes and you'll only find them in the palaces 
just in case you were wondering, John wore clothes made of camel hair. And that was not, that was not luxury clothing back in those days. And camel hair was itchy, it was scratchy. That's not what, that's not the fine linens and the silk and, and things like that that people would wear. That was, that was what a caveman would have worn. That would have been like if I walked in here today wearing a bearskin rug or something like that, right? Like that's what it would have looked like. And it said that he ate locusts dipped in honey. Let me translate that. He took grasshoppers, dipped them in honey, and ate them. That's not, not what people would have eaten during the day as a normal course of their diet, right? But John recognized that he wanted to be removed from civilization, right? He didn't want to buy in and subscribe to that culture. And I love what it said. It said, or did you come to see a messenger. See, prophets were the forerunners to Jesus, right? They were the ones that, that were, they were the men of God who were, who were proclaiming the future of what God had for the people. Matthew McHenry in his commentary said in the Old Testament prophet, they, the Old Testament prophets, they saw Christ's day at a distance and their visions were yet for a great while to come. But see, John, John saw the day dawn. He saw the sunrise. And he told the people of the Messiah, not as one who hoped they would come, but as one who witnessed his coming. Remember, John was the one chosen to be the messenger declaring the Messiah. But in order for the Messiah to increase, John must decrease. The good news is not a product to be sold, but rather a freedom to be shared and lived. And I want for you and I to, as we continue to unpack this story, to recognize that that in the midst of this, in the midst of our circumstances, oftentimes we find ourselves in situations, we find ourselves in hopeless circumstances, and the reality is, is that it's there that we truly find the Messiah in all of his glory. Because when you and I get to the end of ourselves, and the only hope that we have is an eternal God, it's then and only then are we able to step into eternal things. I want to invite the band to come up and close with a few thoughts. I was reading an article the other day, uh, Laura Daigle, um, who writes um, some of the, the new worship songs that, that we sing um, here lately, has had an opportunity to, to appear in a lot of, on a lot of secular Platforms. I don't even like using that word, but, but God is, has opened doors for her to appear in, in what we would call secular platforms. And one of those platforms happened to be the Ellen DeGeneres show. And she sang an incredible worship song, and, but she received from, from a lot of religious people, she received a lot of flack from that. Because they felt like that she shouldn't have um, gone on a show 
with a woman who was openly gay. And I love her response to that because she really pushed back about how often we reduce Jesus down to these religious beliefs and we, have, we, we set these limitations. And I think about how the religious leaders would have felt that those days when Jesus was hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and all of those people that were so unfit for the Messiah. But I want to challenge you and I that we need to stop putting Jesus in a box. And we need to stop setting our expectations on earthly things. Then we need to quit peddling a religion that can be measured by rituals. We need to stop acting like Jesus can only save dot dot dot, can only love dot dot dot, can only forgive dot dot dot. This world is too broken, too hurting. Too sinful to be saved by a Jesus that we can reduce to an infomercial. But rather it needs a Messiah whose ways are above our ways. It needs a Messiah whose thoughts for his people outnumber the grains of sand. It needs a God who so loved the world that he would sacrifice his only son. And it needs messengers like you and I to believe and act like greater is the one living in us than the one that's in the world. It needs messengers that, and people who are set apart, who understand that they're a royal priesthood. We need, we need believers and followers who act like the Word became flesh and that we beheld His glory. Believers that, that, that understand that the stone has actually been rolled away and that the tomb is empty. And that when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, that it is finished. I want to close with this one thought. That if we truly want to live out this gospel, if we want to truly experience the good news and this freedom, we need to stop trying to reduce Jesus to us and start elevating ourselves to Jesus.